his eyes on the sparrow. Good morning, friends. Welcome to our 11 o'clock service on this, the fourth Sunday after the Epiphany. Time's flying. Lent comes soon, Ash Wednesday. This, this is amazing, is on Valentine's Day. Well, I guess so romantic that we pull those two together. Uh, good morning, welcome to worship. Uh, welcome to those of you in the room, many more we know joining us online. It's good to worship God together in this way. I wanted to mention to you that uh, a lot of things going on, you wanna pay attention to those. Tomorrow night at seven o'clock here, uh, we will have Kate Bowler. And if you haven't heard of Kate Bowler, she's like a big celebrity in the religion world and the self care world. Uh, she's also a friend. She'll be with us right up here in conversation with me. You'll want to join us. Uh, she has a brand new book out just a couple days off the press called Have a Beautiful, Terrible Day. It's a funny title, Have a Beautiful, Terrible Day. And uh, it's a series of daily readings. We're commending this book to the congregation to read together in the coming weeks. We have copies of it in our bookstore, goodness gracious. Uh, if you want to get a copy of that, come tomorrow night to hear Kate. Uh, you'll be, uh, she's really funny and delightful and wise. You'll enjoy that. As I look around, there are many of you that are visiting with us. We're really honored that you've come. We hope you'll come back. We hope you'll leave us some contact information. And to tell you how to do that, I want to say my name's James Howell, and I'm up front this morning with my friend and colleague, Reverend Jessica Dason. Good morning. It is good to be together. We are especially glad to have any of you who are visiting, who have uh, been here just a few times. We extend a special welcome to you. Um, we'd like everyone, if you would, take a moment to pass the pew pads located on the center aisle down um, the aisle. We'd love to make sure we have the right information for you. Um, we'd love for you to give us feedback of just how we can be in prayer or in service with you. Um, don't forget, we also have the QR code on the back of the bulletin and online there is a link um, that you can click to let us know of your attendance and your information. We are grateful to be together. We hope that you'll take advantage of all the different opportunities. Look at your bulletin. Um, check out our website. There is something for everyone. We hope that you'll take the time to check those things out. Friends, we know that the Spirit of God is in this place, so let us continue on in worship.
family of God, let us now join our voices together as we profess our faith through the Apostles' Creed. It can be found in your bulletin. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Friends, it is our uh, high and holy privilege at the service to celebrate the sacrament of holy baptism. Emily and Harrison Mathis bring their daughter, Molly James, and Jessica and Michael Jessup bring their sons, Bradford Graham and Jay. Brothers and sisters in Christ, through the sacrament of baptism, we are initiated into Christ's holy church. We are incorporated into God's mighty acts of salvation and given new birth through water and the Spirit. All this is God's gift offered to us without price. Friends, on behalf of the whole church, I ask you, do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to renounce evil and repent of your sin? If so, say we do. Do you confess Christ as your Savior, put your trust in his grace, and promise to serve him as your Lord? If so, say we do. And will you nurture these children in Christ's holy church that by your teaching and example, they may be guided to accept God's grace for themselves, profess their faith openly, and lead a Christian life? If so, say, we will. And will you, members of Myers Park United Methodist Church, include these families now before you in your care? Will you proclaim the good news and live according to the example of Christ? Will you surround these families with a community of love and forgiveness that they may grow in their service to others? And will you pray for them that they may be true disciples who walk in the way that leads to life? If so, say we will. Friends, let us pray. Eternal Father, when nothing existed but chaos, you swept across the waters and brought forth light. The days of Noah, you saved those on the ark through water. When you saw your people as captives in Egypt, you delivered them through the sea. Their children you brought into the promised land through the Jordan. 
In the fullness of time, he sent your son Jesus. He was baptized by John and anointed by your spirit. And he calls his disciples to share in the baptism of his death and resurrection. Pour out your Holy Spirit now to bless this gift of water in those who receive it, to wash away their sin and clothe them in righteousness throughout their lives, that dying and being raised with Christ, they may share in your final victory. All praise to eternal Father through your Son, Jesus Christ, who with you in the Holy Spirit lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. Bradford, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Graham, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Jay, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Molly, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. for me. <laughs> Jesus said, I am the light of the world, therefore let your light so shine before others and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Children of God, as you grow in age, may you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We rejoice to welcome you to the family of God. Friends, through baptism, we are reminded that God's grace is with us before we can comprehend it. God's grace is poured upon each of us each and every day. And so it is with that confidence, that knowledge, that we can now come together as the body of Christ to confess our sins, our brokenness, our need for God. So please join me for our prayer of confession. 
Gracious God, our sins are too heavy to carry, too real to hide, too hidden even to realize, and too deep to undo. Forgive what we hesitate to name, what our hearts can no longer bear. Set us free from a past that we cannot change. Open us to a future in which we can be changed. And grant us grace to grow into your likeness. Amen. Friends, hear the good news. God's grace surrounds you today and every day. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. The epistle reading is 1 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning with the first verse. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if one loves God, one is known by him. Hence, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through being hitherto accustomed to idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. Only take care lest this liberty of yours somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you, a man of knowledge, at table in an idol's temple, might he not be encouraged, if his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols? And so, by your knowledge, this weak man is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus, sinning against your brethren and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food is a cause of my brother's falling, I will never eat meat, lest I cause my brother to fall. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I think it's only natural and somewhat predictable that we as human beings, we yearn for that which th used to be, 
It could be remnants of the past. It could be persons or institutions. We romanticize. I, I don't care what my wife says. I'm a romantic. Like, I romanticize the past. And for some of us, uh, this nostalgia extends to the ways of the church. Uh, I know, particularly in the United Methodist Church, over these last 10 years, I've heard many folks with good intentions, and, and perhaps I myself included, uh, we've yearned for the church of the past, whether it be 10 years ago, a generation or two ago, or for many, uh, we think of the early apostolic, ancient, kind of the original church. If only we can be more like the earliest of churches, then we would be better off. We would be more faithful. Now, if you ever are tempted, like I have been tempted, to think this way about wanting to be like the church from the good old days, from 2,000 plus years ago, I invite you to read the Bible. I invite you to read Paul's letter to the Corinthians, Galatians, Philippians, any of Paul's letters to any of these ancient churches, and you'll quickly find out that those churches had massive problems, real problems, not too unlike from us. So I guess that's the bad news of sorts, that we've been, we the church have been dealing with, encountering problems for all of our existence, some really tough problems. But here's the good news. We're still here as God's church. And we're not here because we're good enough to be here or have done right enough to be here, but the church, God's church, is still here because God calls us still. Right? God guides us still and leads us still to be the church. Kind of on a footnote, on a side note, we, Myers Park United Methodist Church, we have problems too. But as I've shared before, we got some really good problems. You know what one of those good problems are? One of the good problems that we have is parking lots. <laughs> we don't have enough parking spaces. It's a problem to be sure, but it's a good problem. You know why we have that problem? We have too many people who not only joins us online, but in person. We have more people who wishes to be here in person worship than the parking lot allows. That's, I'm, I'm grateful for that problem. Just an FYI, in case you have not had a chance to read our communications, we will have our shuttle services that begins again next Sunday, first Sunday of February from 9 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. There's going to be two shuttles that's going to run back and forth from here to Myers Park Traditional Elementary School just down the street. These are really nice shuttles. I invite you to take advantage of them. Rain or shine or snow, it'll drop you off right at the front door, right outside of Parish Lobby. It's, it's sheltered. It's canopied. It's the best way to do it. We invite you to do so. And if you have any questions about this, just email me. Just email me. I'll make sure you get to church in a timely manner. All right. It seems from our reading and really throughout different parts of the New Testament, uh, one of the problems that the church in Corinth is having deals with laws and, and rules and boundaries surrounding food and idols. What's good food, what's bad food, what to eat, what not to eat. Of the 613 Levitical laws, there's a lot of different rules and laws that pertains to food, right? Where to prepare, when to prepare, how to prepare food so that it is good for us to, to eat. Now, some of us here uh, as, as 21st century Christians, we may look at these dietary laws and think it to be outdated and trivial, 
But in the ancient world for God's people, it meant so much. It wasn't just about food. It wasn't about their culinary taste. It was about being set apart as God's people. This was a big part of God's people being different from the world. Yet we find that in this ancient Christian church, there are a lot of folks, most of them were Gentiles. They didn't know any of these laws or rules or boundaries about food, let alone practice them. There's a disparity of knowledge amongst the church and its members. So what do you do? What do you do when such disparity causes confusion and conflict? And it begs the question, what is knowledge for, especially in the context of faith? What is knowledge for in the context of knowing God? As has been mentioned before, uh, I, I went back to school a few years ago for a different degree, and uh, Dr. Howe was the Old Testament professor that I had in my class. And one of the assignments that Dr. Howe gave us, us the students, was quite simple, easy enough, it seemed. Distinguish between knowledge and wisdom. Be prepared to make a presentation about knowledge and wisdom. What do these things mean, and are there any differences? And I thought, well, this is easy. It was one of the hardest assignments that I've ever had in my doctoral program. When it really got down to it, knowledge and wisdom, are there any differences? Here's what I mean. I've known people, and I'm sure you have as well. It might be you. I've known people who have knowledge and wisdom. They've been my mentors. They've been my guides throughout my life. All the important moments of my life, I, I've been led by those who have a sufficient knowledge and wisdom. But far more often than not, I've known plenty more of people, some who are very knowledgeable, brilliant people who live foolish lives. You know people like that? I've known people who are masters of their domain, captains of their industry, who live very silly lives. I've been that person. I still struggle to not be that person. You might be or have been that person. Uh, uh, where does the knowledge lead? Uh, imagine this for, with me for a second, just kind of a thought exercise. Imagine a mother with two kids old enough to be on their own, so mom uh, has to go away out of town uh, for a while, months, if not over a year. So the mom, as one would, give specific guidelines, instructions, some good old wisdom to her daughter and, and her son, uh, all number of things, things like how to take care of the house, how to cut the grass, how to care for the dog, how to eat, what to eat to be healthy, and most importantly, how to care for one another in her absence. So some time goes by, mother returns home, She's at the front door. She's greeted by her older child. The daughter comes out. Hey, Mom, we've missed you. Welcome home. I want you to know that I remember everything you told us. In fact, I can recite verbatim all the things that you shared with me before you left. I know it in English, and I can even recite it back to you in Hebrew. But just so you know, when you go into the house, you'll see that the house is a mess. We've never cut the grass. The dog disappeared months ago, and my brother, your son, is in the hospital. Haven't gone by to visit, presumably still alive. <laughs> Welcome home. Yeah. Where, 
What good is knowledge? Where does our knowledge lead us? Paul's letter to the church in Corinth speaks to our knowledge and subsequently our actions having profound effects in our siblings, in our church family, within our community, whether we like it or not, whether we know it or not, for good and for bad. Paul seemingly has a special place in his heart for those whom he considers weak. He addresses the weak among us over and over again and how we ought to care for them. So Paul warns the church, warns us of the type of arrogant knowledge that puffs up, the type of knowledge that diminishes and distracts would-be believers, would-be disciples from knowing the gospel and becoming followers of Jesus. And so simply possessing more knowledge is not enough. This knowledge of God, withly knowledge of anything, must be accompanied by ethics of love and self-sacrifice. The type of love, the type of knowledge that not is puffed up, but that builds others, that builds our community, our family, our neighbors. The core of Christian freedom is not rooted in knowing more, but loving more like God. Loving our neighbors as God loves us, that is the antidote. Martin Luther of Reformation writes these words, learning from Paul. He writes, a Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none. A Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all. Freedom found in Christ, freedom in our Christian life, is given to us, we live into that freedom when we practice a love that builds others, a practice a love that is responsible for others. Over and over again in our passage today, in other passages, Paul talks about not being a stumbling block. Don't be a stumbling block, especially those who are weak, those who are relatively new to your community. And there's been various statistics to, to, to prove this over the years, uh, especially for our young people, our children, our youth. You know what's the, the most noticeable indicator of how their faith will be once they leave the house? There are many factors that go into it, but there's one that, that seems to present itself more prominently than others about predicting uh, the vitality and the health of our young people's uh, discipleship uh, upon leaving the home. Here's what's so interesting about this. As important as worship is, it wasn't worship. It wasn't any of the programs as wonderful as these programs are that we offer at our church. It wasn't the children ministry. It wasn't the quality of the youth ministry or even mission ministry or even uh, uh, music ministry. The, the number one indicator of the vitality and the health of our young people's faith as they grow older is the discipleship of their parents their family, and you. It is witnessing the faithfulness of your discipleship that will determine in large part how they will live out their faith as they grow older and leave our home. I don't know about you, uh, I am the type of person, and some of you are like me, I, I, I wanna know as much as I can. I wanna know more. A lot of stuff that are completely irrelevant, but I just like to know stuff. 
I figured if I know enough, then I can be right enough. And if I'm right enough, maybe I deserve a place at the proverbial table, whatever that table may represent, whether it be here or elsewhere. If I know enough, I can be right enough. If I'm right enough, maybe I will be deserving. And I guess that's fine and all. There's nothing wrong with knowing and being right, but thank goodness that God's understanding of space is so much more generous and expansive than what I understand it to be. That God's understanding of room that is made for us is so much more than that. I've come to find out over the years, especially as a pastor, that the majority of the people that I encounter in the life of faith, life in the church, very few people are here to uh, know or be right. That's not their number one priority. Majority of the people that I've encountered in the life of the church, you're here because you desperately seek to belong, to be, to belong, to matter. Uh, in the midst of this world, otherwise makes people invisible and makes people feel insignificant. When I read Paul, especially in passages like this, I feel Paul's heart. Paul, more than anyone, knows the temptation of the arrogance of knowledge that puffs up the individual. He lived it. He is the one who weaponizes knowledge to diminish and to destroy so many others. So he warns the church, he warns us, may your knowledge be that of love of God that builds up your siblings, your church, your faith family build each other up. I mean, Paul is the one that says, see the light. He's the one that was literally struck by the light in the midst of his conversion experience. And the light of God is nothing less than the love of God and the grace of God that builds others in our midst. I think Jesus would say something like this, come follow me. Jesus would say, come be with me even if you don't have everything figured out, even if you don't, you don't know what it means to be kosher. Come be in the midst of your faith family, the church, even if you don't know what's what, even if you don't know the A, B's, and C's of all of this, even if you don't know the Apostles' Creed, you are, you are welcome. There is room for you. There's room for you here at God's church, here at Myers Park United Methodist Church. Carol Hairston uh, she was one of my uh, good friends from seminary. She and I did our doctoral program together. She was also in Dr. Uh, Howe's Old Testament class. I don't know if you remember this, because I do. I graduated back in the summer of 2021, and the first Sunday of June, I believe it was, Dr. Howe recognized that he was so gracious to do so, and he also said something else. He said, Uyan was my best student. Yeah, you keep laughing at that, Hugh. It's... <laughs> wasn't a joke, but yeah, he's kind and generous. Really the best uh, of us all uh, during our doctoral program was Carol Harston, a fellow pastor and friend in Louisville, Louisville. And she uh, recently introduced me to uh, Jane Nelson who wrote the book Positive Discipline. And well, before I get there, uh, after 8.30 service as we were processing out, you know, and I was walking besides James, and James looks at me and goes, you know, you're right, Carol really was the best student. <laughs> I was like, all right, you're right. Jane Nelson's book, Positive Discipline, the, the primary thesis of this book states that every child, 
Every child, beyond anything and everything, every child desires to belong, to know that there is a place for me in my family. And the second thing is, every child desperately desires and craves significance. That every child needs to know that my place in my family matters. Belonging and significance. In the eyes of God and in the house of God, every child, every one of God's child belongs and is significant. And in reflection of this truth, Carol offered a prayer which I wish to share with you now. Uh, she introduced her prayer this way and then she prayed. She writes, so here's my prayer on this dreary afternoon. God, whose very spirit came in the embodiment of Jesus to bestow freely divine belonging and significance upon all, draw close to all those waiting for the church's embrace so they may know a force of love greater than any institution. May the pivotal day come just in time when God beckons those who wait out of the belly of the fish, out of the chains, out of the wilderness, the angels sing when God's people claim their freedom and live as such. Thanks be to God. Amen. Friends, would you bow your heads and pray with me? Almighty and gracious God, in wisdom you created all things and you called them good. You created so many wonders, we are filled with awe. We peer into your mind and your heart, and it, it's amazing. Your, your creation is not there so that we can snap a Facebook photo of something that's photogenic. You created the photogenic, the unphotogenic, things we've never seen or could never comprehend, and it is all fantastic and awesome. And we fall on our knees in awe and praise of you, Lord, in your mercy. We give you thanks for your goodness to us. So often we skate right past your goodness. We get duped into thinking, well, I earned that, I, I did that, or that's just normal, that's just the status quo. But uh, your, your goodness extends to us ev every day, every hour, every moment. Any good that comes to us, it comes from your hand. We ask that you create in us hearts that notice, and hearts that are grateful. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, uh, in your beautiful created order, uh, we've made a mess of things. The world's a mess. Each one of us is a mess. We're broken. We ask that you look into each of our souls and see what is awry there. We ask for your mercy, not so much groveling or, or asking you to say it's okay, but asking for the 
healing balm of your power, your love, your compassion, that you begin to remake us into the people that, that you made us to be, that you want to liberate us to be. We know you made us to be holy. It's not gritting our teeth, it's letting you live in and through us. The world is a mess. We, we're dizzied by the news. So many places, Gaza, Ukraine, our own backyard, there's so much trouble. Imagine that somehow peace might break out, that despite human nature, there might be some surprising peace, some goodness, some healing of our world. And as we pray for this, Lord, we ask you to help us not to be cynical or withdrawn, but show us what, what small part do we have to play in being the answer to our own prayer, Lord, in your mercy. Well, we know that in such a world, you need a church. We need a church. We want to be a church that matters. We're so grateful to be part of the church. We're awed by the fact that on this day, all over your good earth, people in so many languages and in all kinds of clothing and dress and buildings and languages have gathered to offer themselves to you, to notice your goodness, to seek your guidance. We're awed to be a part of that. We're so privileged to be part of this church. There's a lot of stuff we don't get right, but there's so much that is good here. We're privileged to be part of it, and we ask that you always help us to be a church where every person matters, and maybe especially those who think they don't matter, who think, I'm not sure I will matter in that church. They all matter. And we thank you for revealing to us the name of our capital campaign, Hope Is Here. That is your dream for us and is our dream for living out our life as your people, that this will be a place of hope, perhaps especially for the hopeless Lord in your mercy. We pray for all of those who are sick or hurting, grieving, in any way, we pray for those who battle any of those constellation of things we clump under mental illness. We pray for those who battle health issues, struggles in relationships or work, whatever it is that keeps us up at night and causes fretting in the soul. We ask for you to be with us, for you to heal us. We ask that you would help our church to be the kind of church that would support and love so that through us, those who suffer whatever challenge, they might know that God is with them because we are with them. Lord, in your mercy. Well, we ask that in our praying, we, we not just talk, talk, talk all the time, but that we learn in our praying not just to talk and say, Lord, hear our prayer, but that we also learn to be quiet to be still, and to say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. We know that you call us. That is our nobility. You call us. We matter to you. We are part of your project on this earth. Give us minds and hearts and ears that are attentive to what you are asking of us, and then give us the, the will, the courage to go, to do to be your people, Lord, in your mercy. 
Finally, Lord, we pray in the silence as we share with you the secrets, the dreams, the wounds of our hearts. Lord, in your mercy. We pray all of these things and anything else that you might find to be helpful to us or to your church or to your world. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our risen Lord and Savior, who taught us followers boldly to pray together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. As we come now to receive, uh, to receive our authoring, I thank you for your generosity and I ask you for more generosity. Your giving here matters. It makes so many transformative things happen. And on my mind this morning, this weekend, we have high schoolers who are on retreat. That's amazing. You've made that happen. And they are this week working from their third grade Bibles that they received years ago. Your gifts have made all of these wonderful things happen through God's church. So thank you and let us give generously.
Gracious God, all that we have is yours. It comes from you, it will return to you. We give you thanks for this opportunity to invest now in the work of your kingdom, to give what we have, what you have entrusted to us, to something that matters, that will make a difference in your world and be part of your work. In Christ's name we pray, amen. here and wherever you may be, uh, in God's house, in God's church here at Mars Park, you belong. Uh, you are significant. You matter to us. There's room for you. So may we continue to grow in this love, love that builds up one another as we journey forward. So may the love of this God, the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forevermore. Amen. <laughs>